Hey, hurdlers. Emily Abadi here. You are listening to episode 65 of Hurdle, a podcast that talks to everyone from entrepreneurs to top CEOs and athletes about how they've gotten through tough times, hurdles of sorts, by leaning into wellness. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Nicole Centeno. She is the CEO and founder of Splendid Spoon. It's a plant-based, ready-to-eat meal delivery service. They've got smoothies and they've got soups. And trust me, they're pretty delicious. Before we get to her story, a quick shout out to my sponsor, Athletic Greens. I literally just shook up some as an afternoon snack after spending the day overlooking the beautiful city of Los Angeles at my hotel pool. And let me tell you, it was just the boost I needed. When I drink Athletic Greens, I feel more energetic and overall, just like I'm doing something good for my body. They are offering Hurdle listeners a special deal. It's 20 travel packs, a $79 value, absolutely free with your first purchase. Head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to grab yours today. All right, now chatting about Nicole. She's totally down to earth. I actually really loved sitting down with her just last week to record this. In today's episode, she talks to me about how she knew from a young age that she was fascinated with food. And even when she was working as a media strategist at big companies like Condé Nast, there was a part of her inside that was just so ready to figure out how to make that passion a bigger part of her day to day. But her relationship with food hasn't always been a positive one and you'll hear her get really honest with the disordered eating she had back in college. We talk about how she was able to get away from that, how she was able to make a positive change in her life and reframe that relationship with food. We also talk about what it was like going to culinary school and building Splendid Spoon from the ground up. You know, you hear it a lot from the entrepreneurs that I have on this show that starting from scratch can be super intimidating. And for Nicole, it definitely was. What's even harder to imagine is that she talks about today going through a divorce with her husband while this company was just about to launch and the stresses and the pressure that that put on her. It's pretty admirable, actually. She talks about leaning into the business, finding her strength from something that she was so passionate about to get through some of these really tough times. Now, I do want to touch on something really quick. In today's episode, like I said, Nicole talks to me about her time with an eating disorder. And she also mentions that she didn't really talk to anyone about it. So if you're listening to this and you feel like you're struggling with something, talk to someone. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to an anonymous helpline. There is someone there that wants to listen to you, that wants to help you. And uh, just know you're not alone. I also want to just take a quick second and shout out all of the hurdlers that came to the Hurdle Run Club at the Santa Monica Pier this morning. It was so, so awesome to get to interact with you guys in person. I know when I put that call out on social media, I got a lot of messages asking if I would do this in other cities. Trust me, it's definitely on my radar. But for now, New York, I can promise you I'm coming for you. So if you want to run, if you like what you're listening to, if you have any other feedback, you always know where to find me. It's at Emily Abadi and at Hurdle Podcast on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And also always, always via email. It's Emily at Hurdle.us. 
I'm telling you, I'm gearing up for a big week here out in Los Angeles. I'm doing seven different hurdle podcasts. So excited. That's a total understatement to fill you guys in on what's to come. And that's it for now. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting here with Nicole Centeno. She is the founder and CEO of Splendid Spoon. Hey. Hey. What's shaking? It's hot. It's hot. It's a man. hot day to be shaken. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You were telling me you just got back from Austin. Yeah. Hotter in Austin Hotter. or on par? Well, it said 89 in Austin and 89 in New York, but it I did not believe the temperature reading. It felt like 2,000 degrees in Austin. <laughs> oh, the worst. The worst. And the humidity just gets you. Yeah, it was It was hot. But I love Austin. Where are you Austin's from? Fun. Massachusetts. Okay, not Austin. Not Austin. <laughs> no. Not nearly as hot. No. When did you make the jump over to New York City? I went to school in Boston. So I spent my entire life in New England up until after college. And then I moved to New York. Okay. So before we get into this here, I think it's important to let the hurdlers know what Splendid Spoon is. So why don't you give them the rundown? Yeah. Splendid Spoon delivers ready-to-eat, plant-based, super clean lunches and breakfasts right to your home. So it's ready-to-drink smoothies, ready-to-eat soups and stews, and everything's designed to create a routine for you in the middle of your busy work week. Okay. So was it always breakfast and lunch because I think I think I recall it used to just be soups it used to just be soups it started with just soups okay yep. so it was just lunch or soup for breakfast or as soup I for often breakfast. do okay <laughs> um so give me a snippet of what some of these soup flavors entail and then we can kind of breach out into the other offerings that you guys have it's a I mean it really runs the gamut so there's everything from like a really light fennel consomme that has lemon peel and a bit of spice to a really hearty Moroccan lentil that has kind of has like a tagine vibe um, our lentil kale is super popular. We have a ratatouille. We have so we have over forty different flavors. Wow! And then on the smoothie side, everything is way lower in sugar than pretty much anything else out there that you can get, and especially in the ready to drink format. So you can literally pull a bottle out of your fridge and gulp it down on your way to work. It's and is so this yummy. is this all delivery based or can you buy them places or where do people get Splendid Spoon? It's all delivery based. Okay. So you can go to splendidspoon.com. You can order. We deliver everywhere. So literally every state in the continental US, which is awesome. Awesome. And when I order Splendid Spoon, if I was to open my laptop right now and click order, how fast does it arrive at it my door? It comes within, it's about a week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So these are the basics. Those are the basics. So let's dial it back before we were delivering nationwide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were you always into, have you always been a plant-based diet no, kind of girl? Definitely not. I love food, um, as many of us do. But I think I've always been driven by food and the sensory experience and like so many of my memories around food. Like I have a memory of swiping butter off of the butter plate in my grandmother's house because I just loved that like sweet, salty, creamy flavor. And I grew vegetables in a garden with my mom and made strawberry jam. And I just have always been very interested in food. I studied biology when I was in college as like a way to figure out how it all works. So, For food. Yeah. So I, I actually I ended up 
what got me really excited about biology was working in um, my independent studies were in a biochemistry lab. So I looked at diet therapies as treatment for epilepsy. Okay. Because it's an ancient diet. Um, It's an ancient ritual, really, to put people on different fasts or different diets um, when they are having symptoms of disease. And it was really powerful. I mean, it really showed me just how powerful what you eat can be on how you live and how you feel. And so that really catalyzed something in me. At that time, I also had an eating disorder. So that was also like a very scary, um, dark experience with food. And I've seen food from like all those different angles. So part of my recovery after school was going to culinary school, actually. It was like when I wanted to go to culinary school, I knew that I had regained that healthy relationship with food again, where I could enjoy it for pleasure. And I wasn't in that dark place of counting calories and reward versus punishment. So food in every format, (laughs) good and bad has been really important for my personal growth. It's got to be so interesting to feel as though you want nothing to do with food while also learning about food all the time. It's, you know, I think for me at that formative age, like college, adolescence, like your early 20s, there was something about I was the eating disorder was all about control. It was all about like how to regain a sense of control and a sense of order. Um, I had chosen a science degree over my English degree because I wanted to be challenged more and it really challenged me. And studying then also food as fuel versus food as pleasure was also a really sort of grounding force for me. Um, And it wasn't until I got out of culinary school or that I was in culinary school that I was really able to kind of process all of that and understand that food is not one or the other for any human being. It's never just food. It's never purely emotion. It's always a mix of both. So you went to college with the idea that you wanted to study biology specifically to get into food? No, No, I went to college like to go to college. Yeah. (laughs) I went to college. I went to a liberal arts school because I wanted to learn about lots of different things. And also, honestly, because that's what I had been told to do my whole life was like, you go to college, we will help you. You will have some semblance of student loans. But like as my parents were like determined to put me into college. And and then after that, it was always very clear that I would be on my own. And so I trusted that advice and believed that it would give me some foundation of being on my own. So that was why I went to college. And I had always excelled in the humanities. Like I had always excelled in writing. And um, so I chose an English degree, but I just didn't feel, I felt like I wanted more of a challenge, I guess. And the other part of me that had always stimulated curiosity was like, how do things work? Why, why are systems designed the way they are? And how does that relate to how we live and our nature? Totally. So biology was like an easy move for me in that sense. So on the personal side then, what were some of the steps that you took to kind of overcome uh, and get out of this eating disorder then? Like I mentioned, for me, and I think a lot of people with disordered eating habits, it it comes from a loss of control or, or the perception that you don't have control. And the a thing that you can control is what you put into your body and how your body appears and all of that. Um, and so the big moment for me that changed that was when I almost failed organic chemistry. Okay. It was this very concrete moment where I was like, 
oh my God, like I have developed this coping mechanism because it somehow feels good in a way, but materially it's hurting me. Like I just almost failed the class. And I actually went in and negotiated with the teacher until he agreed to give me a D minus. Wow. I was like, I show up in this class every day. I may not be mentally present, but I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, fine. Okay. D minus. D minus. And then- And it was a huge wake up call for me where I was like, this is not, this is not the plan. This is not, this is clearly not working. It gave me the ability to step back and also just realize some of the other objective facts that like my back hurt all the time because what happens is it puts a ton of stress on your kidneys Mm -hmm. and my teeth were kind of looking weird you know it was just like it it kind of like lifted the fog from me and I didn't tell anyone about it until I spent like days I did end up skipping a ton of classes and spent days in the library reading about eating disorders I confided in my general chemistry teacher because I had done really well in general chemistry. And for whatever reason, he was like, he had been a great coach and kind of mentor and I confided in him and that helped. And then I found a therapist and I just went to therapy and like did it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it took a long, it was, it, but that's often the story of my life is like, there's an inflection point and I, all of a sudden, the sight line of sight becomes clear, mm-hmm. and I just go. Yeah, I can I can understand that. I mean, it's interesting. Obviously, not telling people is one thing, but did you have friends that were concerned about you? I mean, were you looking any different? No, I mean, the other really sad thing is like I'm I've always been a very small build. Yeah, and um. It was not like I was gaining or losing tons of weight, and I've always been small anyway, so I don't think anybody knows. I actually I had shared this with one of my best friends from college very recently, and she said I had absolutely no idea. I had absolutely no idea. And I think it's common in that college environment for a lot of young women to have disordered eating habits, and so that sort of like that area of what's normal gets really gray yeah so yeah no one no one said anything and and it was only the people i chose to confide in who ended up knowing about it it was very very few people so we realized this isn't the move it wasn't the move um and i had started to love food again and a lot of what i did in my spare time was cook learn to cook through different cookbooks and plot out the various restaurants that I would try, the chefs that I would try all over New York City and when I traveled. And so I thought, what about going to culinary school? Like it was this kind of, I didn't find cooking out of cookbooks enough and I wanted to learn proper skills. And so that was that was the path that I chose. So I went to the French Culinary Institute here in Manhattan. I did it at night so that I could stay at Condé Nast and work full time and pay for the expensive tuition that is um, culinary school. Yeah. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah. Like totally first time that I was doing something hard, that I was putting extra hours in and I felt totally fulfilled. 
So that was a huge signal to me. And I didn't, again, like I often don't have a specific plan, but I knew that I was on the right track. And at that point, uh, when I graduated, I just did whatever I could to stay in contact with food. I kept my day job, but I had like catering businesses, pop-ups. I was teaching cooking lessons to kids and cooking lessons to my friends and spending all of my spare time getting up at four or five in the morning before work to cook at like a pizza kitchen so that I could sell things on the weekend and then going to work full time, coming back, planning out my next food gig and having a food gig every single weekend. And at a certain point, I was like, I think I should choose whether or not I'm putting my energy into one or the other. Do I really want to continue pursuing a career in media or do I want to take a chance with something that really makes me feel alive? And I took the chance. So what did taking that chance look like in practice? Practically, it meant having a big conversation with my boyfriend at the time and agreeing to downsize our apartment, moving to a much smaller place. Um, It meant that or maybe we had already moved. I mean, there was there was like the practicality of financially. What would that mean? And and that was I think that's often the big hurdle for people is like, how do I pay for rent, especially in New York City? And so I wouldn't have been able to do it if I didn't have that partnership at the time, for sure, was a huge component for me. And then I was still kind of like stumbling along. But when I got pregnant with my first son, Grover, that was a really big another big inflection point for me where I got pregnant I didn't know or didn't remember what it was I was supposed to be eating. I did what everyone does, which is Google prenatal care. And all of the noise flooded in of like, how much folate? How much calcium? Have you been taking your prenatal? Et cetera, et cetera. And it reminded me, honestly, of the noise in my head when I had an eating disorder of like not feeling grounded feeling like everyone has an opinion of what I should be doing to take care of my body. And it was overcomplicated. And I knew from having gone through that experience and from having studied biology that it was it was not for me. Like that world of minutiae and super foods and perfecting every single bite. It just wasn't for me. And I also knew that I was eating a lot of croissants and drinking a lot of lattes drinking a lot of wine, eating out at, you know, New York City restaurants. And I wasn't having salads or carrots or I don't think I was having one serving of vegetables a day, honestly. Wow. (laughs) And unless you counted potatoes, Uh, like really starch. starch. (laughs) And um, so that balance for me had gone from very restrictive to very just pleasure based. And I'm happy that that happened, but I was also, it was also eye opening to me to realize again, food isn't just one or the other. Like it is also fuel. It does actually turn into the cells of your body. And that is no more apparent than when you are pregnant and there's a baby growing inside of you. So I needed to figure out a way to just get more vegetables into my diet. I needed to figure out a way to eat a little bit more plant-based because all you have to do is read a few books on (laughs) 
why plant-based is better for you for to realize just how easy it is to transform your health, right? Like every serving of vegetables that we eat reduces our likelihood for heart disease by 4% and cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of adults in the US. Right. So it's like, it's really actually quite simple, but it's hard because we're pressed for time. And so that was the big hairy beast that I wanted to tackle was this idea that being healthy takes a lot of time, takes a lot of expertise, takes a lot of fancy ingredients. I don't believe that that's true. And I think that the common wisdom of our moms and grandmothers is often the most grounding force. And it's like, eat a few more vegetables, have a wholesome meal (laughs) at least once a day. And and try to like chill out a little bit. Yeah. So I created these vegan soups for myself. And this is why the business started with soups. I was, I just imagined what would my mom make for me? She'd make me soup. She would say like, take care of yourself once a day and have a, have a nice bowl of soup, Nicole. And so <laughs> I made these really beautiful vegetable stews and I had one every day and I realized this is it. This is the idea. This is the thing. This is what's actually changing how I feel and how I perform and how much stress I have. Because as soon as I took care of that one meal a day, I felt proud of myself. I felt like I was taking care of my body. I did not feel like everything had to be perfect. I was okay with still going out to eat at night. And it freed up all of that mental space to just focus on building my business, which I think is a huge thing. You know, like we have so much decision fatigue and taking care of that meal in the middle of the day, it's huge. I've been thinking a lot lately about this idea of decision fatigue because I think especially in the summer when we're traveling and we're all over the place and we're trying to be healthy, but it's like I just made like so many decisions when it came to getting an Uber, to go to the airport, to getting on my flight, to what I was going to pack, to where I was going to stay, to all these things. And so by the time you get there, it's like, I know I'm going to feel good if I eat one thing, Mm -hmm. but God, I'm so tired of making all of these decisions. Like, just give me a cheeseburger. Yeah. And you're tired. Your body is also stressed and your body sends all sorts of chemical signals to your brain to say, like, don't eat the crudite with hummus. Like, boring that's not going to make you feel better and that's not going to fill you up go for this thing instead Mm -hmm. and so when we put that undue pressure on ourselves when we're really pressed for time we're setting ourselves up for failure because the chemicals in our body are working against us and you really the only way to defeat that is to pre-plan and that's next to impossible for most of us A quick break from today's episode to give Athletic Greens, my sponsor, a little bit of a shout out. When I got on the plane yesterday, I had a momentary freak out that I forgot to pack my Athletic Greens. Believe me when I say this, I feel entirely different on the mornings that I get to drink my Athletic Greens versus the ones that I don't. And especially when I'm traveling, it's an integral part of my routine because it helps me feel more in the moment, it gives me more energy, and especially when it comes to that jet lag, 
Man, I'll take all the help I can get. The drink gives me just the boost I need to put my best foot forward no matter where I may be. You've got to try it for yourself. Just head on over to athleticgreens.com slash hurdle. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash hurdle to grab yours today. Let's get back to it. So you decide that you want to start a company that sells these soups that are making you feel so much better. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a catering business at the time. So there was, I was, I had, did have income. Um, It was a catering business and I was running pop-ups and things like that. So I basically took that business and transformed it into Splendid Spoon and really focused it on plant-based delivered to you. I had a bike messenger and I brought soups to people on a monthly or weekly subscription. I had a spreadsheet of like the five people at Condé Nast who wanted it um, and the people all over Brooklyn. And then I slowly just started to really build. Um, And that's where things started to, that was when things started to really shift for me. So when the things start to shift, I mean, you probably started doing this in your apartment. Yep. And then there got to be a point where you couldn't do this in your apartment anymore. Well, when I first started, because of the catering gigs and everything, I was renting space at a pizza kitchen called Polly G's in Greenpoint. So I had that space, which gave me, you know, all the proper licensing and everything. And but that was still just a couple gallons of soup at a time. And so I quickly moved to an incubator space in Queens that's no longer there. It was called the Organic Food Incubator. And that was a big shift for me. Yeah, there was kind of like a domino. It was it's interesting talking to you about it because there was this sort of domino effect once I really like got the that click for the idea and the problem that I was solving and the person that I was solving for, things started to really kind of like click. And it's also interesting to me because obviously like this is a very niche thing to make. It's not like you just decided like I'm going to make plant-based meals or I'm going to make like salads. Like, I mean, salads is also very niche, but like soups is very specific. Totally. Well, I did. I mean, I've always wanted, you know, part of my process still today and it was then is always like trying to align on focus and trying to align on okay if the decisions that I make today will affect where this business is in five years what do I want the business to look like in five years and I knew I wanted a national business I knew I wanted to eventually reach millions of people and help them improve their life by eating just a few more servings of food and creating actual habits. And while that's simple, right, and niche, it's there's such broad um, market opportunity there. And in order for me to do it, it gave me kind of the boundaries to decide if I'm going to be national, then I probably need a product that can be produced by someone other than me in a kitchen. So right. I can't like invent, I'm not going to invent something and I need a distribution model that will allow me to reach lots and lots of people quickly. And so that started me on the route to direct to consumer also versus just going like to grocery stores one at a time. Totally. And so was it just mega overwhelming when you were trying to figure out how to Hugely. even do that? Hugely. Yeah. And I, I think the things that helped were... 
you know, I mean, people talk about it as like luck or chance. I do think that one of the traits of an entrepreneur is just continuing to hack away at that vision and at that focus. And one of the things that I did was I always went out um, to networking events with other food folks and I spoke on panels about like Brooklyn. It was it's astonishing to me that anybody wanted me on a panel, given how little I knew at the time. But um, I spoke on panels and kind of like just focused on someone will be every time I did this, someone in the room would be a valuable resource to me. And one of those panels that I spoke on, Fresh Direct, was in the audience. And they tried my soups. I was pregnant with Grover. And the very next day, I went over to the Fresh Direct offices and brought them samples of other flavors and asked them if they wanted to carry it. And they said yes. Which is a big deal. Which is a big deal. Because it was all of a sudden a, a really good size volume. And that allowed me to actually hire staff to fulfill the orders and even if it was part-time staff and then that allowed me to start talking to co-packers and say these are the po's that i have this is the traction that i have this is how it's selling will you take a chance on me i think also that point you made about like you never know who's in the room is so important i experienced the most random thing this morning i was on the subway going to the office and it's like a very crowded subway And the train like jolts to stop and I like shift forward a little bit and I bump into the man next to me. It wasn't an aggressive bump. It was a light bump. And he literally turned around and like accosted me as though I had totally ruined his life. Yikes. And was just like, maybe you should hold on to something so you don't bump into me. And the train car is completely quiet, yells at me. I'm like this little thing standing next to him. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm sorry. I hope your day gets better. Yeah. And I just went on because, A, greetings, like frustration with frustration never really results in a positive solution for anyone. Right, right. But I always keep in mind when someone greets you with that kind of hostility unexpectedly that nine times out of ten, probably ten times out of ten, you are not the reason why they're upset. Oh, for sure. And so I don't know what he was dealing with. Obviously, it was something that made him very upset. But I just tried to meet it with kindness. And so, again, this idea like you never know who is in the room or when you're going to see them again or how it's going to play out. Like, I don't know if this man's actually going to walk into my WeWork later. Like, you never know what's going to happen with someone that you come into contact with. It's so funny because one of the early angel investors that I spoke with, maybe it was a seed investor, told my business partner at the time that I really rubbed him the wrong way. Oh, goodness. And I was like, so annoyed. And I was like, maybe it's because I'm a woman. You know, I just went down that like dark hole. Yeah. And then I said to myself, you know what? That's his thing. And it's my decision how much emotion I want to place on his words, how I want to perceive it and how I want to take that comment. And I chose to follow up and basically like not apologize but say I understand that you felt that I rubbed you the wrong way this was how it was intended and um we're excited about x y and z stay in touch and this person has turned into a really great 
kind of like not a mentor, but a resource for me in this space. He didn't end up investing, but he's really well known in the space and he's invested in a lot of successful brands. And I'm now able to run different scenarios by him, which is really valuable when you're raising capital or when you're thinking about different financing options. And so I think back about that moment a lot because I really could have had a very knee-jerk reaction and kind of like thrown the middle fingers in the air and been like, see you never. Yeah. And just ignored it and not responded. Yeah. And I do think that there's something to be learned, something to be gained from every situation. And I also think that one of the skills or one of the responsibilities that CEOs have and also early founders is to always take the high road because you're, you don't have any bridges yet. <laughs> yeah. You're like out there on your own building a new village around you. And as much as you can turn those lemon situations into lemonade, like it will always serve you. Totally. And again, like what you pointed out, which I think is really special, is just this concept that you are in control of how you feel. Right. And sometimes it feels really hard to own that statement. Right. But you have the opportunity to, you know, decide what happens next. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So uh, we're in mass production mode. And we're making soups and they're shipping everywhere. And it's crazy. <laughs> Is it crazy? Yeah. I mean, it's so – I mean, at the time, it felt like one step forward, two steps back. The mm -hmm. first two years, even though I was working with Fresh Direct, were slow moving. So even though we went from, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to a few more hundred thousand dollars, it was still, like, very hand-to-mouth. And at that time – I was newly had a had a new baby, hadn't built out my team yet. My marriage was really tough. And I also had gotten a book deal. It's so a lot. it was a lot. And then at the end of that second year of the business, I oh, I had had another baby. <laughs> and I chose to end my marriage and I started to build out my team. And so it was a lot. It was like a storm. I mean, I don't know that I, I hear the stories about people where it's very sequential and it's like da, 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 da. And certainly you can look at our revenue traction and it has that sort of like really easy looking upward trajectory. But that was not my experience of it. My experience of it was it was a major storm. Yeah. And every day was a bit of a battle. I can only imagine how difficult it's got to be going through uh, a divorce while trying to keep your ducks in a row to continue building your business. Yes. It's a strange – it's a very strange reality. And for me, the – a lot of what was hard during my partnership was – and I should say that my ex and I have a very good relationship. He's a wonderful dad and we've done an amazing job to turn a difficult situation into a really positive co-parenting experience. So that's, you know, kind of the silver lining, I guess you would say. But at the time, during my marriage, it was – my, my entrepreneurial spirit, shall we say. Yeah was really tough. And I, I, I understand it. Like, it's really hard to be with someone who believes that something 
that does not exist should exist and that something that you know requires you to not sleep and require lots of blood sweat and tears literally that that is worth fighting for in the midst of also having a baby i mean it is nonsensical yeah it doesn't really make any sense and then during my breakup that the startup then turned into my source of stability Mm-hmm. which was another really strange thing. It was like this thing that I've been told and have experienced is very unstable, very scary, is now my source of stability. I think it's really special that you had that to lean into, though. I think a lot of the right. time what so many of us struggle with is we're upset about something, we're going through something, and instead of positively channeling our energy into something else, whether it be a project or a hobby or working out, we kind of go um, the opposite way. And it can be a little bit negative. So rather than, you know, maybe even reverting into the other ways that you were trying to find control when you were back in college, instead of that, we're going all hands on deck with this business. Exactly. And exactly. That's, you know, it's yeah, a big that's deal. growth, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, you come up with the same problem or the same feeling that you've had in the past and you treat it differently. Yeah. And that's, it's always hard. It's always easier to follow the path that you know, to do the thing that feels like the path of least resistance. And that's not, in my experience, that's not how you actually grow. Nothing changes if nothing changes. Exactly. Bam. Okay. So we're <laughs> leaning into the business and it's it's helping you get by. It's helping me get by. And it's also the difficulty of being a mom of two babies and going through the divorce also helped me to let go of some of my responsibilities at work. I started to delegate. I started to admit that I needed more than just me and a couple part-time workers. I started to dig into my ability to create partnerships. And that was where we started to really see big growth. These days. So how, when was this all happening? So that was in 2015. Okay. We launched the direct to consume, like splendidspoon.com, as you know it now, launched the very end of 2015. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot at one time. Yeah. And then, so from that point until now today, what would you say? I mean, obviously we're leaning into the building of this company, but since then, what would you say aside from launch has been one of your proudest moments owning this company and starting this from scratch? It's the people and it's the food that make me the most proud. Um, And that the people are both my team and the community. Like it's not any specific milestone necessarily, although I'm I'm proud certainly of our growth and of raising a series A and, and those milestones. I'm certainly objectively proud of. (laughs) Yeah. But what really makes me feel alive, what really makes me feel like I'm doing my life's work is when I jump into our private Facebook community and I see people resolving problems together, coming up with ideas together, offering us as a business suggestions on how to make our product better and seeing my team collaborate, coming into an office of bustling people, having spirited disagreements and solving problems and coming up with creative solutions like that is the that is 
Like, there's nothing else. The only thing like it is being a parent. And I'm kind of thinking back now to what you were talking about earlier. And you were saying that you noticed that you started to feel differently when you started to eat plant-based. Yeah. For at least for that that soup meal every day. Yeah. What, what would you say that you actually noticed during that? Energy. Yeah. Energy was the biggest one. Pride and like a decrease in stress was the other one because I was really worried that I wasn't eating properly. And I knew because of my science background that I could be eating better for sure. I think we all know like, oh, like as much as we don't want to label food as good or bad, it is objectively true that eating processed food all day or pizza for every meal is not doing you any favors. Totally. And so as soon as I added that plant-based meal that I knew was super clean, was made with amazing ingredients that also tasted really good, it just, it solved so many issues for me. Yeah. And would you say that you're hearing a lot of that same kind of feedback from your consumer? Yeah. I would say that convenience is the number one reason that people come to us. It's convenience and trust that things taste really good. What has been one of the best pieces of advice that you've received in your career? It's actually the best piece of advice that I received was from my mom when I went to college. And it was literally just to be true to myself. She gave me the Dr. Seuss book, All the Places, Oh, the Places You Go. And if you read that book, it's basically like life is hard, but it's a journey and you will find yourself on that journey. All right. So the way that I wind down the podcast every time, right now you have an opportunity to offer yourself a piece of advice going through that hurdle moment right now. Back in college, Mm. things are pretty hard. What do you tell yourself? Reach out to a friend. Yeah. Your girls. Your people. Your people. Reach out to reach out to more people for sure. That's what it would be. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Thank you. This has been so nice. Please take a moment and leave a quick review by clicking the link with the description to this episode. We all face multiple hurdles in life. I want to hear about yours. Reach out to me at emily at hurdle.us. Connect with the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at hurdle podcast. Nicole, where do they find you? Where do they find Splendid Spoon? At splendid.spoon on Insta. And I am at nickcent, N-I-C-C-E-N-T, also on Insta. Amazing. Another hurdle all conquered. Catch you guys next time.